0: So, I do appreciate you guys being here as we're going to finish up week two of this just two-part series called Dumb Luck or Destiny. And if you are coming this week for your first time or maybe you were gone last week and you're stepping back in and you're like, oh man, I missed it, don't worry, you can always catch up. That's why we try to leverage technology as much as we can at our church. Every one of our messages are put up, both the video and the audio, on our website, xchurch.com. You can also download them from iTunes so you can listen to them while you work out, drive, whatever else. So you can always get caught back up if you miss it, if you think, man, this message was just so good, I got to hear the first one. Or maybe you think, man, this message was so weak, I just got to hear the first one. Whatever happens today. But anyways, <clears throat> we've been talking about this idea, dumb luck or destiny, and the idea is how do you, how do you clarify, make sense of, how do you determine when, when, when things go really, really great or... When things go really bad, or when situations seem to work out, or when plans seem to come together in your life, how do you justify that? Do you justify that by just saying, it's just dumb luck? It's just coincidence. Things happen, they bounce around right. This is just happenstance that I am where I am right now, where I ended up. It's all just luck. Or are you one of those people that say, no? I think there's some sort of sort of plan. I think there's 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 some destiny in our lives that there's that there's something that's kind of controlling this. There's a fate that's out there that's drawing us towards an end purpose. How do you make sense of these situations? Because we experience them right in our life. We've heard stories of them before. And last week we talked a lot about coincidence. And this week I want to turn our eyes kind of that idea of of destiny, that idea of of fate. And we hear that word used a lot, don't we? It's fate, it's fate, it's fate. Often, it's usually about how people's lives kind of play out, right? It especially gets used in, like, movies about love, right? The idea that there's, there's fate, there's some sort of plan that exists that draws people together or you towards something, that there's uh, an, an end means that was already spelled out. What the word fate actually means is just an inevitable outcome, something already predetermined and planned when we get there. It's kind of like, inevitably, it's going to happen, no matter what else gets in the way. There are stories like this. If you've been part of the Alpha Course, you've heard this story once before, but there were this, this couple, a young couple named Nikki and Scylla in England, and Nikki and Scylla were head over heels in love with each other, head over heels, and people around them were kind of concerned because they were rather young, and they thought, you know, maybe this is all just kind of emotion, you guys are moving really fast, and... And maybe this is, you know, better for you to kind of take a step back and think about this before you guys, you know, jump off the deep end and get married and all these other things. So they actually agreed. They listened to their, the council, their parents, their friends. Scylla lived in London, and Nikki lived about an hour away in another city. So as she was leaving one weekend to go back to work in London, he said, what we're going to do is we're not going to see each other for the next three months. It was in October and he says, when you come home at Christmas, we'll see each other again and we'll determine whether or not this was meant to be, right? She gets on the train, leaves, and he said he was just absolutely heartbroken. I mean, just, just crushed the idea of not seeing Scylla for three months. So he determined, I'm not even going to go to London, for the next three months, okay? I'm not even going to go to London because it just, it aches too bad to go there, which is comedic, because, I mean, London is absolutely gigantic. You know, it's huge. It's not like a little city where you might bump into somebody like LaSalle, Peru, right? That's just being extreme, right? I'm not going to go. It's like staying out of the state, you know? I mean, it's crazy. But he says, I'm not even going to go there. So it just so happened to be about a week later, he's with one of his friends, and they went to a football game, and they were driving back home to the city where they lived, and his friend said, I hope you don't mind but I have to stop off in London. And he says, my heart just like ached, like, no, we can't go to London. He says, I know Scylla's there. He says, but it's London. It's okay. She lives on this side of London anyway, and we're going to this corner over here that's nearer to our town, to Kensington. He says, I have to pick up a friend. I have to give him a ride. So he says, he brought us down to this area of Kensington. We got out of the car. He dropped us off, me and my buddy. He says, I'll be back in probably about half an hour. I just got to get my friend, give him a ride, do this. So he says, I'm sitting on the sidewalk with my friend thinking, what should we do for half an hour? He says, I look up down the sidewalk and there is Scylla walking towards me on the street. And he says, I just take off running towards her. And all of a sudden she looks up and realizes that Nikki is running towards her and she runs towards him. They throw their arms around each other. He says, I twirled her around and then I said to my friend, don't, don't bother, bother waiting for me, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not leaving with you guys. He says, we went to a cafe, we talked. And he says, "Silla told me that she was traveling through Kensington because she had an appointment that day somewhere down there, that traffic had gotten backed up. She was riding on a bus and since traffic backed up, she decided to get off the bus and walk the last mile to her appointment. Now, how do you justify a story like this? These two bump into each other, they decide to still take this little break, and afterwards they come back together, get married, and they've been married for over 30 years now. How do you justify a story like that? Is that all just coincidence, or is that fate? Were these two people destined to be together, that there's some sort of plan, that even in a gigantic city like London that he expected to stay out of, that he got dropped off on this exact curb at the same time a traffic jam happened where she was riding on a bus that she got off and their paths crossed before he left that spot. Is it just coincidence or, or is it fate? Is there some sort of destiny? Have you ever experienced a feeling of fate? I have. I've had some weird situations in my life where I thought, like, that's, that's kind of strange, right? That, it seems almost like there's a plan there. I remember back when um, I was still in high school, early on in high school actually, at the last church that my mom had served at. She was the youth pastor there. They were building an addition onto the church. And before they laid down the carpet on top of the new concrete, they did a Sunday where they invited everyone to stay around after service on Sunday. And they gave everyone black Sharpies and said, Go and write any prayers on the concrete. And then we're going to lay the carpet over it. And all these prayers are going to be right there on the floor of our church. And people went in and wrote all different prayers, names of people who they hope to see come and meet Jesus there, um, you know, things they're praying for their life, all these different things that were written out. And we spent a lot of time writing things out. But I remember that my mom went to one kind of corner of the uh, auditorium and she wrote on the floor, Cameron will be a pastor. And at the time, I told her, you're silly. That's not happening. I'm totally uninterested. At the time, I was going into medicine. That was, I was in my head, I knew I was going to go into medicine. I was going to get my degree, and I was to become a doctor. I was like, I'm not, that's not going to happen, Mom. You're crazy. Fifteen years later, it doesn't sound so crazy, does it? And there's that writing sitting underneath of this, this carpet that's been there for, for years and years and years, and then that this actually took place, almost as if there was a plan, and she had Kind of caught a glimpse of it, right? I had another one after um, I got out of high school and I was kind of focusing in on ministry. We started this uh, this college ministry called Steadfast and uh, we ran it and we did stuff at IVcc and we were trying to do a lot of stuff to reach college students both in our church and outside of our church and I started teaching these different series, and one of them I taught, which is still one of my, my favorites I've ever uh, taught, is called More Than Many Sparrows. It comes from the verse where Jesus is talking to people about how valuable they are, and he said that, you know, God knows every single sparrow in the sky. He says, if one dies, he knows it. and He says, don't worry, you're worth more than many sparrows. Basically saying, you, you're so valuable to God. And we did this series, and we had this cool little invite card that said, you're worth more than many sparrows, and it was basically like said as a quote, and it said Jesus on it. And we handed them out all over IVCC. We leave them places, we do all this. Well, a few weeks after that series had taken place, um, I had this girl come one night for the very first time, and she showed up, and as she was talking to me about her friend inviting her and her coming, she looked at our bulletin board, and she said, oh, you have one of those more than many sparrows cards. And I said, yeah. And she says, I found one of those in the parking lot of IVCC. And she said, when I saw it, it just so struck me about the idea of how much Jesus loved us. She says, I just love it. She says, I have mine framed at home. And she says, in fact, she says, I took that and I made photocopies of it and gave it to all my girlfriends and told them, you're worth more than many sparrows. Jesus said it in the Bible. And she says, where did you get yours? (laughs) And I pulled it off the bulletin board and I flipped it over and I said, that's us. I'm the one who preached those messages. And she's like, what? She had never flipped over the card and put two and two together that the place she was going this night was the ministry that was on the back of this card. And she participated in our, in our college ministry for a few years as far as being part of it and growing in her faith, hopefully for a season. In fact, her younger sister came, followed her to that ministry as well, and she met my now brother-in-law there, and they are currently married. That's weird, right? (laughs) And actually, unfortunately, she was already called home to heaven just this last year, still in her 30s. Those are situations where when I look at them, you almost say, like, was there a plan there, right? I mean, if you try to calculate the coincidence, like I thought about my brother-in-law and his wife and said, like, have you ever considered, like, the impossible circumstances that led to you two being together, right? That you two met at this college ministry because your sister came because she found an invite in a parking lot and it happened to be the same invite. It's like, what? That's not even, not even possible, right? It's mind-blowing. Have you guys ever experienced something that kind of felt like fate? Almost like a plan was being worked out in your life? If you have, it kind of makes you question, right? If you're one of those people like, you know, oh, it's just, we're just walking through this world, right? Things are colliding into each other. It kind of makes you step back and wonder. Well, let me share a story with you from the Bible, from the very, very beginning of the Bible. And it's this awesome story about this man named Joseph. And when I read it, of all different stories that I've read throughout God's Word, this one, it just, it reeks of some sort of plan, it reeks of some sort of fate. When I read it, I just can't even comprehend or calculate the coincidences necessary to get us where, to where we need to be. So I'm going to read this for you. I'm going to read some sections with it and also kind of give you the overview because his story takes place over a few different chapters. If you ever get time, you can go back. It starts around Genesis, uh, Genesis 37, 38 or something like that, and it goes through. Uh, go ahead and read it. It's a great story. But I'm going to give you the, the paraphrase as we go over, okay? So, there's this guy named Joseph, and Joseph is the second to youngest of 12 brothers. 12 brothers. Like, just imagine fights, right? If you have boys, 12 brothers has to be crazy. But Joseph um, was his dad's favorite. W- without a doubt, he was his dad's favorite. Some of you know him because of his technical or dream coat, right? If you guys have seen Donnie Osmond, no? Okay. Anyways. Um, but he, had, uh, he was definitely his father's favorite. He made him a special coat. His brothers couldn't stand that, that Joseph was like the favorite son. It was really obvious. And not only that, but Joseph began to have dreams. And Joseph had dreams that he saw all of his brothers bowing down in front of him. And he actually shared it with his brothers. And they said, okay, that's kind of the last straw, right? We know your dad's favorite, but you start telling us about dreams, about, about us bowing down in front of you, that's it. And his brothers hatch a plan that they are going to murder their young brother. The oldest one, luckily, he's a good enough man that he says, Don't murder him. Why don't we put him in this, in this pit? We'll sell him into slavery. He was hoping to come back and get him. But he left, and while he was gone, these traders came by. And sure enough, they sold their brother Joseph into slavery to make money off of him. They went back and told their dad he was killed. Joseph is no more. Well, this is what's amazing. He gets bought by this guy named Potiphar. And as he begins to work for him, everything he does is just super blessed. Everything he touches in this guy's farm just begins to grow, right? The crops are coming in great. The animals are doing great. They said so much that Potiphar just kept giving him more and more and more to do and just basically kicked back and chilled. And he's like, just let Joseph do it. He's got it. But unfortunately for Joseph, he was hot. That's in the Bible. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately for Joseph... He was hot. Check it out. Genesis 39, 6 through 14. Joseph was a very handsome and well built young man. AKA, he was hot. Yes. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. That's a pretty forceful statement. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. Potiphar, dejected by this hot young man who wouldn't take her advances, decides that if I can't have him, I'm just going to get rid of him. And sure enough, Potiphar believes her. She says, he came in and he tried to rape me. Luckily, I screamed, Guys came running, and Joseph took off. Joseph gets thrown into prison, right into Egypt. This was apparently Potiphar lived right there in, like, the hub of the city, right outside of it. So he not only went to jail, he went to, like, the big jail in Egypt, like the main dungeon that was there. And he began to just sit and rot in jail. Well, soon enough, two of Pharaoh's servants made him really mad, and he sent them both to jail for a season. And Joseph interpreted both of their dreams. They had dreams, and he said, one of them, your dream means you're going to be back serving Pharaoh in just a few days. The other one, he says, you're going to be dead in a few days. And sure enough, both of them come true. Now, a few years later, years later, not days, years later, Pharaoh has another dream, and this dream scares him. He knows there's something weird about this dream that he doesn't understand. And he says that none of his advisors, when they talked about the dream, none of them were making any sense. And sure enough, this guy who works for him realizes there was this guy in jail who interpreted my dream and got it right. So they bring Joseph up. Joseph hears the dream. And sure enough, he completely understands it. He says, Pharaoh, what your dream means is there's going to be seven years of abundance. All the crops are going to come in great. The animals are going to reproduce great. You're going to have so much And then it's going to be followed by seven years of complete desolation. No fields coming in, no crops, animals dying. And he says, you have seven years to prepare. If you prepare well now for these next seven years, you can make it through those following seven years. If you don't, it's going to spell ruin for Egypt. And this is what Pharaoh says in Genesis 41, 39 through 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, Clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Joseph goes from rotting in a jail cell to a few hours later being put second in command of the most powerful nation on planet Earth. He says, everybody will listen to this man. The only person who will be able to overshadow his statements are me, myself. And it says that Joseph, I mean, complete rags to riches, right? His own chariot. He'd go out and he managed all of this for seven years. People knew Joseph. He became this this figurehead, you know, like a president of this country that they were looking to as he was leading them through this time of economic prosperity, right? And then the seven years of famine hit. And it happens just as Joseph had said. After seven years of, me, of, of plenty, seven years of famine hit, and it gets bad. So bad so that people in all the surrounding areas begin to come and sell their property to get grain to be able to feed their families. Egypt had stockpiled and stockpiled because of Joseph's wisdom. And everyone else who had not was coming and basically buying food to be able to feed their family, to be able to feed their livestock, and trading off land. And Egypt was getting richer and richer and richer through this. Now, very soon, that famine spread all the way back to Joseph's hometown and Joseph's family. And sure enough, Joseph's dad sends his brothers to go and ask for grain. And Joseph sits and watches as his brothers come before him, kneel down in front of him and asks for grain. He literally sees the dream that he had. Years. I mean, it could have been 30 years earlier of his brothers coming and kneeling down before him, and he sees it with his own eyes. Now, Joseph kind of messes with them a little bit. He sends them back with grain, and he calls them back again. There's kind of more to that story as well, because he he wanted to see his younger brother, and he gets him to come back. But after doing this once or twice of them coming back and, and bowing before him, he finally can't take it anymore, and he just, he just breaks. He breaks, and he reveals who he is, because his brothers, of course, didn't recognize him. He probably looked different after 30 years, living very wealthy in Egypt. Of course, back then, you didn't even have pictures, so you probably forgot what people looked like if you didn't see them, right? And Joseph reveals himself in Genesis 45, 3-5. He says this, "'I am Joseph,' he said to his brothers. "'Is my father still alive?' "'But his brothers were speechless.' They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Obviously, right? I mean, your brain would just be spinning trying to understand that. He says, "'Please come closer,' he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, "'I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. "'But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. "'It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives.'" Joseph got to this place where he finally got his brothers back. And obviously, you'd think he'd have malice, right? Where he'd be like, oh, it is so sweet, isn't it? Here come my brothers to bow before me. But instead, Joseph realizes, you might have planned these evil things for me and sold me into slavery, but, but there was a plan all along. That picture that I got 30 years ago was because God was showing me how I would be able to save not only a nation, but I would be able to save my bloodline from starving my father's sons, are future children, from starving. And he says, it was, there was a plan since the very beginning. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now that is an amazing story. I mean, you talk about fate, right? Impossible circumstances. If at this time someone said, I'm going to go become the number two person in Egypt, this would not be the plan you would lay out, Correct. I'm going to sell myself into slavery, get accused of rape, sit in a jail for maybe four or five years, interpret some dreams, boom, second command, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, impossible circumstances that would come through to this. It, it's a story of, of some sort of plan, but, but listen to me. This story isn't a story of fate. It's not a story of fate because if you remove one character from it, the entire thing falls apart. Joseph didn't say, there was a plan, and this plan came to fruition. He said, it was God who sent me here. If you remove God from the center of this story of Joseph, all of a sudden the entire thing just falls in on on itself and collapses. So here's my main point today, and I want to make sure you understand this. Listen, where others say fate, we say faith. Where others say fate, we say faith. Now, what does that mean? Fate is, is the idea that there's this, this end thing that has to happen, right? That there's just this plan that's there. There's a, there's a No matter what, it's going to end up this way. But faith is different. Faith is the assurance of something we hope for. That's what the Bible calls it. It's belief in something that's going to happen. It's trust in the one who has the plans, and it's different. Let me show you how it's different. Fate is passive. Faith, faith is active. You see, the idea of fate is that it's what's going to happen. It's the end result. No matter what I do, no matter how I act, fate is going to carry me through to this end, right? Right? It's just fate. It's going to happen. It's going to end up that way. It's a predetermined, unchangeable end. But faith is active. Friends, we participate in faith. This is what the Bible leans on. It shows us that when God created us, he gave us one of the most amazing gifts that we, we don't even think about, called free will. That God gave us a will in which we can decide what we want for our lives. That God made us, he loved us, and then he gave us the decision of whether or not to love him back. That he didn't demand it of us, and he gave us free will to be able to decide where and how we want to live our lives. Where we want to go with our lives. Listen to me. If you take that out of these situations, you would be tempted to think that you would always just end up at the end goal no matter what. That's not faith. Listen to me. If Joseph, if Joseph believed in fate instead of faith, if he just thought, I'm going to end up there, the story would have turned out completely different. If Joseph wouldn't have been a man who had been living his life Following after God's principles, trying to be a godly man who would refuse doing evil things like sleeping with Potiphar's wife. You know how the story would end? And Joseph got rich at Potiphar's house, and when Potiphar was away on business, he slept with his wife. That's how the story would have ended. Now you'd say, What about God, God had a plan? God had a plan, right? He had a plan. God's plans work with our participation inside of them. God's plans work with our participation inside of them. Now, do I believe God knew Joseph's heart and believed that he could walk through that? Yes, I do. But Joseph had to decide that. I can tell you this is true. If you look at the the book of James, Jesus' brother, as he writes about this, listen what he says about the idea of these derailments and how they come. When these situations come, like Potiphar's wife coming and grabbing a hold of Joseph, who brought that about? Was that God who brought that about? Was that part of the plan? Listen, James 1, 13-15. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth To death. God allows us to choose what we want in our lives. He knows every decision, but we have the right to choose what we want in those decisions. I think the story could end up completely different. Maybe someone else would follow through and step into the place of where Joseph was supposed to be. Listen, we are not bystanders in our destiny. We are not bystanders in our destiny. We do not simply believe that there is a destiny marked out for us and I can live any way I want to, do anything I want to, act however I want to, and I'm going to end up at that end goal. Wrong. Wrong. Faith says that we play a role inside of this destiny, that as we walk it out, our right decisions, our faithful actions, that they work hand in hand with God and lead us towards that place of destiny. You participate in your destiny when it comes to faith. Where others say fate, we say faith. Another way it's different. Fate is hopeless. Fate is hopeless. Faith is is hopeful. And you say, how could fate be hopeless? Fate is hopeless because it's just a belief that no matter what, it's going to happen. There's no room for hope inside of fate. It doesn't matter if you hope or you don't hope, right? It's hopeless because it's just going to happen. But here's the problem with fate. Fate is simply that a predetermined plan is going to happen. It is not that a predetermined good plan is going to happen. Fate is simply just believing it's going to happen. There's an inevitable end that's in sight. But friends, that doesn't mean that it's an inevitable end that you want in your life. That doesn't mean that it's an inevitable end that is good for you, that's beneficial to you. It could be very destructive for you. If you just believe in fate, it could mean that your fate is to fall apart. Your fate is to have a painful life. Your fate is to have a life that explodes. But see, faith... Faith believes that there's someone who we trust who's making these plans. Someone whom we love who's making these plans. Someone who we can, get, we can actually know who's making these plans. You know, there's all this conversation about fate right now. It's kind of in our, our weird... Um, kind of new age beliefs that are coming into our culture. And there's all this, you know, about your, your spirit and the, and the world around you, right? And if you send off good vibrations into the air, good vibrations come back, right? And some sort of karmic circles that take us to it. And if you're positive, you see positive. And if you're negative, you don't. And all this. But there's all this, you know, oh, the universe. The universe will take care of us. If you're good, if you're good to the universe, the universe will reward you. And if you're, if you're kind, you send out those good vibrations, the universe will send back good vibrations, That is (laughs) bullcrap. That is garbage made to sell you vitamins and books. Okay? (laughs) Listen to me. Let's talk real quick about the universe. Let's talk for just one minute about the universe. The universe is everything that exists around us. As far as, as we can imagine. Far beyond what we've ever been able to see and understand yet. Now, we sit as one out of 7.5 billion people on this Earth. One planet which is in a solar system that circles one star which we lovingly call the sun. That star is one out of 100 billion stars in our galaxy. One out of 100 billion Billion stars inside of our galaxy. If you're wondering about the expanse of a galaxy, just for reference, okay, if you made one of those stars about the size of a grain of sand, and I was to set it up here in this corner of the room, and I was to set another grain of sand in the far corner of the room, that would be far too close to represent the distance between those stars as well. That the expanse is absolutely enormous. That that sun that we look to is one of 100 billion stars in our universe, now listen, excuse me, in our galaxy, now listen to me. You don't understand 100 billion. I know for a fact you don't understand 100 billion. It is too big of a number for you to understand. So let me give it to you in a way that makes sense, okay? Most of us can understand 1 million, right? We can kind of grasp how you get to a million. And let me put it in a way that you understand, which is the passing of time. We deal with it every day, right? Here's for reference. 1 million seconds ago, Okay, 1 million seconds ago, 12 days ago. Make sense? 1 million seconds, 12 days. Now, what are you guessing in your head 100 billion seconds ago is? 1 million, 12 days ago. 100 billion seconds ago, 1200 BC. You're talking about a number that is so absolutely astronomic. Your brain can't even really comprehend how big that number is. I mean, it is, it is gigantic. And listen, listen, every one of those stars likely has a solar system like ours surrounding it. Likely has planets surrounding each of those 100 billion stars. Now, this is insane, but, but, but even more insane is that as our technology has advanced, these people who stare at the sky and try to understand all this have, have, have pointed the most powerful telescope we've ever had called the Hubble Telescope towards one point in the sky. For reference, just to show like what they pointed at, he said, take a grain of sand again, put it on the end of your finger, hold it up to the sky, and we looked at a slice of that grain of sand out past the edges of our galaxy. That we pointed it out and peered all the way out beyond our 100 billion stars of our galaxy and looked out past and tried to see what's there, and we snapped a picture. And in that picture, they found an additional 10,000 galaxies. Not 10,000 stars. 10,000 other galaxies like the Milky Way. He said, at our best estimate, if we're to guess... The Milky Way has about 100 billion stars inside of it. And if we can guess, we think that there is another 100 billion galaxies outside of our own Milky Way. Friends, the universe is so expansive and so great, it, it, is, it is unfathomable and incomprehensible. He says, this doesn't even do it justice, but he says, just trying to get you to understand. He says, because it's so hard to know those things. He says, just like, imagine that every grain of sand on the entire earth were a star in the universe, and it still wouldn't be enough to represent the stars in the universe. And you sit on one little rock that circles one of those grains of sand. Friends... You are one of 7.5 billion sitting on a rock that circles one of 100 billion stars sitting in a galaxy that is one of 100 billion galaxies. To say that you are inconsequential to the universe is a massive understatement. Not only you, not only me, the entirety of humanity... All of our planet, our whole sun, our whole galaxy could disappear and the universe wouldn't even notice. You are completely inconsequential to the universe. Friends, the universe is going to reward me. The universe is going to send good vibes. The universe doesn't even know you're here. You are a shred, a speck of dust in response to the entire vast universe around us. But this this is where it gets great. Because where fate is hopeless, numbers like that absolutely crush any possibility of believing we're important or special. Faith is hopeful. You see, friends, our future is not in the hands of a cold and expansive universe. Our future sits in the hands of a loving and intimate God. God. The Bible says in James, James 1 18, He chose to give birth to us, birth to us, excuse me, by giving us His true word, and we, look at this, out of all creation became his prized possession. James says, you know, the reason why I can talk to you about why your life is important, the reason why I can even have a conversation about why it matters, is because the creator of this universe gave undue value to our star, undue value to this planet, undue value to you, that you are his prized possession and you don't exist as just one little speck amidst this gigantic expanse of the universe, that you are something special, his prized possession, which he turns his attention to in great detail. Friends, that the Bible says that you are worth more than many sparrows. We don't exist just in the midst of this gigantic cosmos. We exist in the hands of a loving God who cares. So our fate is absolutely hopeless. Faith is hopeful. That we can read and know and we can experience and feel. That we can understand the creator of this gigantic universe. That we know that he even promises in his word that we are important to him. Joseph said like this, it was God who sent me ahead of you to be able to save my family. That's faith. That's faith. Faith carries us through when circumstances are painful or are tough where fate doesn't. If it's fate, we just think maybe my fate isn't so great. But if it's faith, we know the person who's, who's calling us forward and we trust it, just like Joseph. Do you realize the story that Joseph went, went through? Beat. Enslaved, falsely accused, mocked, imprisoned. But through all of his pain, he believed there was purpose because he trusts the one who is making the plan. You see, when we have faith, even in the hardest times, we can walk confidently because we know the one who's writing the plan. It's like the difference between having pain because of an accident, or between having, or because, or excuse me, or instead of having pain because of a surgery. When we have pain because of an accident, it's scary. Something's broken, something hurts. But when we have pain because of a surgery, we trust the surgeon and we say, I'm I'm getting better. Yeah, it hurts today, but I believe it's for a purpose. I believe it's taking me towards something greater. We do not trust a cosmic power, a universe which is cold and expansive. We trust a loving and intimate God. Where others say fate, we say faith. You see, I lied to you, actually, when I started this message. Nikki and Scylla, they didn't meet by fate. They met by faith. Nikki and Scylla didn't walk away from each other saying, hopefully the universe will bring us back together. They walked away and said, we're going to pray to a loving God to show us whether or not we're supposed to be together. They helped write the curriculum for the Alpha Course because of seeing what God had done in their own lives. They believed that there was a maker that they trusted who is working out their plans for their life, not fate, but faith. Some of us need to change our wording. We've known this type of thing, we kind of understand it, but we keep falling back into the habit of saying stuff like fate or destiny, when in all reality we know that that's not true. But for some of us, for some of us we've been trusting in this in this expansive cosmos, and I'm telling you, there is no hope, my friends. You need to put your trust in something far, far more intimate and loving. For some of you, you're the people who you are, the ones who you live by that idea that the cosmos is this expansive thing. You understand that, and you're like, I know that I'm inconsequential. I don't believe there's any real purpose to my life. And friends, I'm telling you that if it wasn't for a loving God, I would completely agree. But there is a God who gives undue value to your and my life. That there's a God who cares about where you're going, what comes next in life that cares about your pain, that cares about your wants and needs and desires. Where others say fate, we say faith. Pray with me for a second. God, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you did make us your prized possession. God, that we do not just exist in the midst of this gigantic universe, but we know that we have special attention given, Lord, to us. I ask that there's anyone here today that maybe has never experienced that love, that love that you give, that intimate relationship that you give, that they would just take an easy step in their heart right now, just by faith, not knowing everything, that they would just whisper in their heart, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the Lord of my life. And that you would instantly spark a relationship with them. That you would grow faith in their heart. That you would steer them towards the plan that you have for them. God, for others today, I pray that you would, you would awaken in us the reality that we participate in our destiny. That we can't continue to live like hell and expect that that's going to take us to the place where you have for us, that we need to be placing value on the decisions we make, on the directions we're going, about being intentional and careful and caring in our faith, God. I pray that you would help direct us and show us that as we we walk out this destiny. And Lord, for some of us, I pray that you would give a confidence like never before in our hearts. Lord, for some of us, this message just rings true in the reality that they understand my life is not unvaluable that I don't just exist in this expanse and I'm not just one in 7.5 billion but I serve a God who is loving and intimate and he says I'm worth more than many sparrows and you would give us a confidence to walk through our days knowing that you are laying the plan and you are working out the destiny that sits in front of us we thank you so much God in Jesus name we pray, amen